welcome back to the Daily Coach YouTube channel. We have a very special guest for you today. His name is David C. Barnett. David, welcome to Kim Daily TV. Hey, Kim, thanks for inviting me on. It's great to be on here. I'm happy you're here, and I'm very curious to see where this conversation is going to go today. So, folks, David C. Barnett is a private transaction advisor and a former business broker. He also is the author of a book called Franchise Warnings which I said to him sounds very ominous. So I can't wait till he tells us more about franchise warnings. So David, with that introduction, tell the audience of Kim Daily TV a little bit more about your background and your expertise in the franchise industry. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Uh, so Kim, I'm one of those lifelong entrepreneurs. And so I've been in and out of business ever since my teen, teenage years. And back in um, 2008, I got into the world of business brokerage. So I had a, a long and meandering route through different careers and businesses that I owned on my own, got into the world of business brokerage. And that's, uh, in fact, I ended up becoming the owner of a franchise business brokerage. And we can talk a little bit about that. But as a business broker, my job was to help people sell their business and to find buyers and, and help work out the deals and help the buyers get the financing and all that kind of thing. And so several of the businesses that I sold over the time I had my business brokerage office were franchises. And so these were franchisees that had reached the point where they wanted to move on and do something else. And they were looking to sell their up and running existing business. And so the, you know, the fact that it was a franchise added a little bit of an extra dimension to it because normally we would evaluate the business, put together a package, start advertising it, find a buyer and do the deal with the franchise. It meant that we had to involve a third party, the franchisor. And so I did several of these transactions over the course of my time as a business broker and saw some, some different things and thought, you know what? I, I don't know if everyone who gets into franchises understands all of the subtleties of what they're signing up for when they sign into that agreement. And so I ended up compiling a bunch of my experiences together. And I wrote that book, Franchise Warnings, because I realized that while there are tons of books out there about how to choose the right franchise, there were hardly any that talked about any of the potential downsides of the franchise business model. And so that that's how the book got put together. I'm no longer a business broker. I now work as a consultant. I still help people buy and sell businesses, but I do it on a consulting basis. So I work with buyers and sellers and sort of coach them through the process uh, and still run into from time to time people that are trying to buy an existing franchise location, or even some people who ask me to take a look at, um, at an FDD, for example, and, and just pull out some things or, or highlight some things that, that cause me concern that I think they should investigate further. Well, oftentimes candidates will come to me and say, you know, hey, I would like to explore buying an established business for sale. And I know kind of like, you know, they'll say, like, what's the difference? Or why should why should I start new versus look at an established business? So if a candidate asked you that question, what would be your answer? Yeah, well, so my answer would be that it's the difference between investing and being an entrepreneur. Because when you buy an existing business, you have all of the different components you need in order to carry on that business, including the customers and the sales. And when you start a new business, like a brand new startup you imagine yourself, or if you open a new franchise location, you know whatever that franchise business might be, um, the people who are having that solution solved today are getting their solution solved by somebody else. And so even though you're opening a franchise, if it's a new location, you have to attract those customers from the other places that they're doing business and have to get them to decide to do business with you. Now, 
there are all kinds of advantages to a franchise, which I'm sure you talk about all the time. Namely, you know, when you have a brand new startup, you imagine yourself, you have to kind of imagine how everything's going to be done and, and you sometimes get those things wrong. The franchisor is going to provide you with more of a template, but that's the big difference is customers and revenue already exist when you're looking at an established location. The other thing that is a huge difference is that the price you pay when you open a new location is basically the cost of fitting out the location or assembling the equipment or whatever type of franchise you need, what the things you need to do the business. And then you pay the franchise fee and that's your investment to get going. And it's all based upon what you believe with the information provided, you think you're going to be able to do as far as sales and earnings and revenue and profit. When you buy an existing location, you can actually look at a track record. And so you can buy it not based upon what it would cost to build or assemble, but you're actually making an investment based on the cash flow that already exists. So, so those are sort of the biggest difference between starting a new franchise location and buying one that's already up and running. And I might add that when you invest in an existing business, though, you're probably going to be paying some multiple. So typically buying an established business is more, quote, expensive going in, but you're also walking into ready-made cash flow versus over here may cost you less to start brand new, but you've got to build. You've got to be able to wait out that business to ramp it up. Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because one of the examples that I highlight in the book is that the multiple that you pay when you buy an existing business is a multiple of cash flow. And so sometimes you can actually find an existing franchise location where the owner is successful or profitable and based upon the normal multipliers in that industry, you can buy that existing location sometimes for less than what it costs to build a new one. And so this is especially the case in a type of business that would have a lot of depreciating assets or things that would wear out over time. And, but it's very much a case-by-case -case basis. And so these are the types of things that I try to draw attention to in the book so that people have an informed understanding of, of what exactly they're looking at. Um, and that, I mean, that's just the beginning. So, David, so since you brought up the book, let's get into franchise warnings. So the title implies that there are things that people need to look out for when they're buying a franchise. So talk to me about some of the highlights of that book. Yeah. So, so one of the biggest things that I point out in the book is that when you sign a franchise agreement, you are getting into a relationship basically with, with a sort of partner that has a lot of controlling interest. I mean, you can't buy a French, you can't buy a McDonald's franchise and put bologna sandwiches on the menu, right? I mean, we understand this. And so what a lot of people um, sometimes don't really understand is just to what extent um, the franchisor might be able to change things over the course of time. And so some of the examples that I've seen, for example, are requirements on the part of franchisors to do certain updates or redecorate, you know, um, these are the kinds of things that are in those agreements that people need to be aware of. On the flip side, um, like, uh, let me tell you about my business brokerage franchise. When I owned my business brokerage, the franchise that I was a part of had wholesale agreements with all the different online business for sale websites. And so when I represented a new business for sale and I advertised them on all those websites, I was actually paying less for all of those services than if I was an independent shop and I was trying to buy those different services myself. So what I point out in the book is that you actually have to figure out 
what is it that I get in exchange for the franchise fees that I'm paying on an ongoing basis? Because with economies of scale, some franchisors can deliver huge benefits as far as the sourcing and purchasing of things uh, for over what you would pay as an independent business owner. Other ones, not so much. I, you know, I've one of the stories I tell in the book is is um, of a, a guy who owns a coffee shop franchise. He's paying almost four times the cost of sugar if he versus what he would pay if he bought in the local cash and carry because he's got to buy the packets of sugar with the company logo on them, and the franchisor charges a much higher price. And so some of those things are not adequately investigated by some franchise investors when they first set off, they don't get into, you know, will my cost of goods sold be different than if I was not part of this franchise organization? Again, just some warnings and things to look into to make sure people are getting good value when they get into this kind of relationship. Because once you're in it, you're in business with somebody who has the ability to to make rules for you, and those rules can change over time. Um, the one case where it was a real estate marketing uh, franchise for people that wanted to sell a home on their own, and so the uh, the company, the franchisor, kept coming up with new products and services and marketing tools to help homeowners sell their business, their home on their own, um, and then they would like force their franchisees to to start using these tools, sometimes at added expense. And the people who originally bought, they didn't have some of those tools, but the agreement they signed said that they needed to add them as they became available. And so they were really powerless to pick or choose. And over the course of time, the nature of the business started to change. It wasn't necessarily what they signed up for. As the franchise consultant today who works with hundreds of brands, what I would say to some of that is just to take the other side of it from the franchisor's perspective, very pro-franchisor over here I am, um, would be that a business has to adapt and evolve over time. Going back to your sugar example, so what I would say is, you know, it's is it in the franchisor's best interest to really jack up the price of, a, of, of sugar? Like, really? Yeah, they might to private label it, maybe it costs them a little bit more and the franchisees are going to absorb that when they're when they're buying it. But on the flip side of that, the franchise business should be able to make so much more money with that branding than if they were out on their own. So whenever an entrepreneur tries to compare the startup costs of a franchise to the startup costs of if they started that same business on their own, they always come back and say, well, this franchisor is jacking up the cost of it. Like I have a whole presentation on on this. And I'm like, they're not jacking up the cost of starting anything. Like that's what it actually costs. But when you look at the revenue potential should be multiples higher because of the national branding, because of the marketing that they're going to require that you do compared to your mom and pop shop, the numbers are going to work out. So if you can do a million dollars in revenue in the franchise, it nets at 20%, you can do a half a million dollars privately and it nets out at 20%, which one are you doing better in? Still going to do better in the franchise. And that 20% is after you've paid the higher sugar cost. Like that's how, that's what I would say. I would say to my candidate, what I want you to do is go out and I want you to interview, not just the franchisor and hear their perspective on what they're doing, but I want you to interview the existing franchise owners to really see, do they feel like they're being ripped off? Or do they feel like, yeah, they might be paying higher, but the benefit that they're getting 
for their business and their security is there and makes it worth it. You know what? I agree with you 100%. And and the whole purpose of the book is to raise questions so that people can go down this path and explore the, the ifs, whys, and whens so that they make a more informed decision. And I think that what you just said about talking with other owners is, is bang on. And I think it's important that people talk with an array of former owners and and present owners. So new people who've just gone through the opening phase, as well as your more tenured franchisees who maybe have a, a few years in under the the you know the current arrangements so that they've they're past that honeymoon phase and they're really into the nine to five every day of operating their business. And if possible, some former franchisees. And, and I think some of, you know, you can get different stories from across that spectrum. I also highlight the fact that I think it's really important that a lot of these conversations should be face-to-face. And I know that's different in the age of COVID, but in my experience, the conversation you can have with a stranger over the phone versus email versus face-to-face is, is dramatically different. And these this is the kind of legwork that I think anyone needs to do, especially if they're talking about investing hundreds of thousands or like a million dollars. What's another place where a franchise should raise a, a franchise, a potential franchisee should raise a question? Well, you want to understand what are going to be the conditions around your exit. This is a big one that a lot of people forget to even consider. Um, they're excited about the idea of starting a business. They're excited about the idea of opening up their new location. And so they forget to ask about some of the conditions and details for them to exit. So I'll give you an example. In some franchise systems, uh, well, in all franchise systems, the person who buys your franchise is going to have to be approved by the franchisor. So they may have to meet some of the same criteria, for example, that you did in order to qualify. Coachable um, and financially capable. Those are the two most right. important criteria. Yep. And you know, before you can transfer over your franchise, your agreement might say that all of the different updates to decor, like if it's a, you know, customer facing type of business have to be done by you before the transfer happens, for example, or there could be transfer fees or there could be training fees, et cetera. Here's, here's the important reason why this is so important. You talked before about how a business that is operating will sell for a multiple of its cash flow. That multiple of its cash flow represents the enterprise value. It's it's what the value of that cash flow is worth. The amount of money that someone's going to invest to acquire a cash flow is related to the cash flow. So if suddenly we're talking about fees being paid to other parties, like franchisors, or maybe the buyer is the one that has to do the update to the decor and they have to pay $100,000 to a contractor, all of those additional investments are going to be factored into what they pay you as the seller. And so it's important to understand what sorts of demands are going to be made upon you in order to exit. And I'll give you an, a, a, a one horror story example. And, you know, this is one, one example. And so obviously it's not the case all over the place, but I was uh, approached by a coffee shop franchisee and their lease and their franchise agreement ended at the same time. And so they wanted to find out what their business was worth. So I did an analysis of the cash flow and I came up with a price. And then they went and talked with the franchisor and the franchisor informed them that they were gonna have to update their decor to the new model style that they had for the coffee shop. And when they found out the cost of that, it was almost the same as what I said the business was worth. And so they were left with the decision, do we remodel and try to sell and really not get any more? 
because a business is worth what the cash flow is. And so what they opted to do is they opted not to do the remodel and they just told the franchisor they were going to end the agreement and the lease. And so the franchisor took over the location and they put a manager in place and they went off to try to find a new franchisee for that location. They subsequently sold it to a new franchisee without requiring that that franchisee do the update. (laughs) And so that is an extreme example of something that I personally witnessed. Yeah, that that's that's horrible. Yeah. In my 20 years of being this close to franchising, I've I've never heard any such thing happen with the caliber of franchisors that I work with. Oh, well, wait a second. What was that word you just used? Caliber, right? And this is and this is what I think a lot of the value that someone like yourself brings to the brings to the table. Um, there are franchise brands that are notorious for having people fail and then they take back the location and resell it over and over and over again. That is a right? fact. And that so, is why the Daily Coach has a business, David. Yes. Yeah. And so so it's important to understand what kind of franchisor you're getting into business with, what's in that agreement, that you have an adequate understanding of what your day-to-day is going to be like when you're when you're operating this business. And I think one of the problems is that uh, the term franchise and franchising um, there are people out there who believe that just because it's a franchise it must mean that it's a short circuit to success. And you're still getting into business. All the same threats and forces that exist out there for any business are, are affecting the marketplace. Um, when you buy a franchise, what you're hoping to get is that some of those kinks have been worked out and you're getting a process that has been proven to work somewhere, someplace else. This is one of the reasons, Kim, why you probably have you know, sort of grades of franchises that you're willing to put in front of someone, correct? Correct. I only work with the best of the best because I'm a referred lead engine and I want all of my people to be living the best life so that they will tell all their family and friends who then want their own dream and come to me. So it's very, very important, the match between franchisee and franchisor. And I would add, you know, I agreed with everything that you said in terms of when you buy a franchise, you're buying down that learning curve. But the most important thing my listeners who follow my videos know that I always say, when you invest in a franchise, ultimately you are buying people. That is the only, that is the number one reason to invest in a franchise, to be in business for yourself, but not by yourself. That you're looking for people that you can learn from, that you can be coachable to, that you can grow with. You are providing feedback to them so that they can then turn it around and keep developing and growing the system. One feeds the other and then the other feeds the other. It's cyclical. You both need each other in order to continue to grow the brand. Well, and and that's what I talk about when I talk about the evaluation of the value of what you get for your money as an ongoing basis with the royalty stream. So, you know, we're all familiar, like, you know, to use restaurants as an example, we're familiar with franchise restaurants that will have um, seasonal promotions, different specials, different times of year, et cetera. You know, I'll, I'll say to people, you've got a marketing department creating all the sales collateral. They're creating the radio, the television ads that are going to support that. They're creating the recipes. They're aligning with suppliers so that everything's delivered to your door to be able to supply that special seasonal offering, right? And so what would it take for an independent business to be going through that continuously all the time, right? And so so these are all of the kinds of things that the franchisor is doing in order to support you. And you and you mentioned, you know, 
other other people. One of the one of the things that I point out that you should be looking for when you're talking with a franchisor is you should be making sure, for example, that you're going to be given benchmarking data. How does my store compare with other similar size stores in other similar locations or markets? For example, am I really doing as well as I should be? Am I off? Are there as other as good operators? as I think I am? <laughs> well, you know, are there other operators that for some reason are getting a lower cost of goods sold, and why and how? Like you know. And so when you're in a community like that and the data is available, it means that you can always be doing better to operate better. And if you've got a good, you know, representative who's calling on you regularly and overlooking your, you know, looking over your shoulder at the numbers and everything, then this is all part of that value package. And so when you look at this is what I paid as a franchise fee, this is what I pay for royalties or ad fund or what have you. Then you can say, what do I get for that? And you can measure that and you can and make an informed decision. Um, you know, it, it's funny that uh, I would say 30 years ago, a lot of people wanted to be a McDonald's franchisee because they thought it was a sure path to wealth, right? Now there's a lot of people out there who want to be Ray Kroc. And so they're trying to whip up some kind of thing that they can put out there, a franchise of some kind so that people will pay them royalties. And this again leads to that whole caliber of franchisor. And I'm sure you know that you said you represent what a couple hundred, but there are thousands, right? Because there's a lot of them that don't make the measure. Um, yeah. And so so it's there's danger out there. And this is the reason for the book and the reason for the book's title. David, you've been a great guest. Shining a light on, I, you know, I'm probably, I'm definitely Pollyanna. I'm definitely, you know, I'm like, you know, I want my candidates to go out and find the top performing people in a franchise. I would not encourage anybody to talk to somebody who's failed out of a system. I just feel like if they've failed out of the system, look, businesses don't fail, owners fail. So people who failed out don't have what you want. All they're going to do is speak to a certain level of fear that, every single business owner already has. So I say the fastest way to say no is to talk to someone like that. That's That would be my take on it. Um, I love having a different perspective on it. It's just fun. It's good for people to hear because... Look, there are people that my personality probably annoys <laughs> because I'm perpetually positive about like, go find the top performing people, do what they do. Like, and the beauty of a franchise system is that there are all, there are all these other people and a good solid franchisor that has a culture of abundance will share people's numbers so that you can, and not, and you, not just to know how you're doing compared to other people, but you know, driving a little bit of competition and a healthy, you know, we're all shareholders in the same brand, but like, I want to be rookie of the year. I want my store to be the number one store, right? And a good franchisor wants to foster that a little bit because rising tides raise all ships, right? So if these people over here are doing a million dollars in their store, why can't I do a million dollars in my store? And having that transparency helps people know who to reach out to for support other than the corporate office. I love that. And um, I, a lot of the franchises that I work with definitely have tools like that um, and also have that uh, camaraderie and that family feeling among their franchisees. I don't know if you know this about me, David, but I, I am not a consultant for food. 
like in 19 years, I'm one of America's top franchise consultants. I very rarely ever place anybody into food. Like people have to beg me to show them food. <laughs> so a lot of the, the stuff that you talk about, and look, food is what most people think franchising is. If people are looking to buy an existing business for sale, that might have been the majority of the people that you were working with. I like low fixed costs. I like non-real estate-based businesses, ones that won't have the nightmares that you've talked about today. Those are sort of been my sweet spots for, for the 19 or 20 years that I've been here. So a lot of the stuff that I preach also comes from that perspective of, I know what kind of franchises my candidates, people who work with me are gonna kind of be steered to or led to and away from so we can avoid and there's so many other things to avoid in those types of in food anyway, and other real estate based businesses. It's interesting um, um, because, you know, e even though I'm the author of a book called Franchise Warnings, it's it's funny because over the years, I've done a lot of work with franchises and franchisors. So um, I was actually invited to come to an annual convention uh, of a franchise network. And, and I witnessed firsthand the camaraderie and the networking that you're talking about, you know, people sharing stories and best practices and things like that. And I was there to talk about what people should be doing and thinking in their franchises if they had a view to an exit in the upcoming years. And so we were, we were talking a little bit about that. And, and some of the biggest, most important things that I could say for anyone out there who gets into a franchise who wants to exit one day through selling is to make sure that you actually adopt and fully follow the operations systems and the management tools and the, the KPI systems, et cetera, that the franchisor puts out for you. Because a lot of the time when somebody goes to buy an existing franchise within a certain network, they actually become familiar with the network first. They become familiar with the franchise system first, and they might have talked with someone about you know, opening a new one. And then for whatever reason, they talk, they decide to look at ones that might be for sale. And so if they find one that they can't match up next to what their expectations are, this can be one of the problems um, that can that can give a trouble to uh, someone who's trying to exit. Um, and the other thing too, is just to make sure that you do everything possible to make sure that your bookkeeping is as transparent as it can be. You know, all sales are recorded properly. All the expenses are are done properly and any sort of extra expenses that small business owners are known to stick into their business that you stop doing that so that it's as clear as possible. You know, you pay your full tax bill and everything is easily understood by anyone who comes along to look at it. That's amazing advice. I coach all of my people to an exit strategy. We begin with the end in mind. I believe all businesses are built to be sold. So I love that advice. And whenever I come across a business that's for sale and the owner doesn't immediately have three years of tax returns like ready and doesn't have their business like, you know, pretty and cleaned up and in a place to sell, but they're putting some, you know, multiple on on it to try to sell it. I'm like over here shaking my head saying, you know, look, you, you can't get that if you don't have this. Every legit buyer is going to want certain things. That's amazing advice. That's gold. So David, if people want to reach out to you, do you, do you have a website? to you? How do people find you for more information on, I think this is a great conversation, buying new and buying used. <laughs> Everything kind of centers around my blog site. If people head over to davidcbarnett.com, they can find get links to my YouTube channel and, and the, the podcast is just the audio off my YouTube channel. Uh, some people like to listen to it when they're in the car and whatnot. But I've got other books that I've written and I've got some online courses as well. You know, I think there's like 500 videos 
um, all about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses. So if people are interested in this kind of thing, come on over and fill your boots. There's tons of stuff there, and I'm more than happy to have you as my guest. And not just franchise businesses, but all businesses. Yeah, exactly. You know, franchise is just a small sliver of the conversation that I'm having. So it's it's about all business in general. What what I call Main Street businesses, which is ones that have a, a cash flow up to about half a million dollars a year. Amazing. Thanks for being my special guest today, David. Thanks for having me, Kim. Until next time, I am Kim Daly, and I want to be your daily coach.